Alright, we are back for our third and final segment. Uh, we have some serious topics to talk about, but you know, I don't feel like it today. I'm just, I don't know, maybe it's my hip pain. I don't know. I don't feel like going there. Procter & Gamble is proposing a $54 billion merger with Gillette. This corporate merger mania going on is worth addressing, but uh, not today. And, uh, you know, we're having an election. Uh, Doris Matsui, the widow of Bob Matsui, apparently is uh, charging ahead with a ton of dough because I see her lawn signs everywhere in, in Sacramento. Doris Matsui is going to face 11 challengers in a March 8th special election to uh, succeed her late husband. I believe tomorrow morning on, on a special edition of Stop Making Sense, France is going to be sitting in for uh, Steve Valentino, and I believe she's going to speak a bit with, uh, with Julie Padilla, one of the candidates in that race. Uh, the Padillas certainly are doing well by, by KDVS, but uh, even the B is asking, you know, what is it about, uh, about this race that, that has, uh, has uh, Doris Matsui thinking that, you know, she's entitled to her husband's seat? Uh, She's apparently deciding she's not going to engage in the debates that are going to go forward. Um, the Bee didn't like that, and I don't think we like that either. You know, I didn't realize till I read in Howard Feynman's column in Newsweek that, uh, that Bob Matsui was a guy that uh, the Democrats were counting on in, in the Social Security fight. Uh, he, of course, will, will, will not be there to, to assist in that battle. You know, we want to address that too. Uh, but again, not today. We'll come back to that. I did like this, um, this editorial in the Sacramento Bee about uh, politicians as partners, noting that murky land ventures don't pass the smell test. Lead paragraph. In recent weeks, two of the Sacramento region's most prominent political figures have found themselves facing public scrutiny over their private investments with the region's largest developer, the Sokopoulos family. First, Sacramento County Sheriff Lou Balanis retreated from his strange role as cheerleader for the plan to finance a new basketball arena by rezoning land, including some owned by the Sakopoulos family, after press reports that his wife had been a partner with the family in land ventures elsewhere. Now, Doris Matsui, wife of the late Representative Bob Matsui and a candidate to succeed him in Congress, has announced that she has divested herself of land ventures with the same family, including land that may get rezoned as part of this possible King's deal. According to this, uh, this editorial, federal records show that in 1993, Doris Matsui invested in Valley View, a Sakopoulos project in El Dorado County. She became a partner with an investment of something between $15,000 and $50,000. The law doesn't require any more specific details, although voters might want to know them. She later sold this property, she sold it this year, for something between $100,000 and $1 million. So at the least, she doubled her money. At the most, she increased it 60-fold. People are curious, which is it? She's not saying. I, I like the close of the B editorial. Politicians and their spouses would be wise to avoid business entanglements with large contributors who can have pending issues with the government. When they become private partners, they invite public suspicion. The only way to dispel that suspicion is to reveal all the facts. The sooner, the better. What's that line from Casablanca? There's gambling going on in here. I'm shocked, shocked to find out that politicians and their spouses are having business entanglements with large contributors who can have pending issues with the government? Who knew? 
All right, and uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, we aired a segment from Ed Vigilanto from Focus and the Family talking about SpongeBob and apparently other cartoon characters uh, as possibly being gay. After that, we took a call that we recorded uh, from back east. I think we ought to play that for you. KDVS. Is this the Parallax Radio? Who's this? I am Bernard O'Hara, retired chief of police from Gotham City. Oh, well, it's, it's nice to talk to you, chief. Listen, lad. This fella on your show talking about Batman and Robin saying they're homosexual. He's all wet. That was Mr. Vigilanto? Whatever his name is, them two crime fighters were red-blooded boys. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You should have seen the society ladies swooning for the dynamic duo at the annual police ball. Commissioner Garden had a don't ask, don't tell policy 25 years ago. Gotham City isn't Peoria, you know. We didn't care what a fella did off duty, you know what I mean? I think so. So we knew about these things, and I'm telling you, the Cape Crusaders are regular Joes. Well, thank you for setting the record straight, Chief O'Hara. Now, the Penguin, we're pretty sure he was swishy. Never a wrinkle in his tuxedo. Well, who knew? And the Joker? We're almost positive about the Joker. That guy was always in perfect makeup. Bernard O'Hara, thank you. Well, we'll try and get your message out. All righty, then. All right. It seems like we're uh, we're always uh, doing obituaries uh, on this show, but but I think that you know the passing of people of note should be brought to your attention. Someone who's really a footnote figure in in Hollywood, or let alone American culture, uh, is someone we want to note today. John Vernon, an actor, passed away last week. He played Dean Wormer in Animal House, and uh, you know, on, Animal House is one of our our favorite comedies of all time. We we did a show on that some some time back after the American Film Institute. The AFI listed what they thought were the 100 funniest films of all time. Animal House was on their list, and it was on our top 10. For our money, the scene with John Vernon is, is, is probably the funniest scene in the movie. I think we ought to play that for you. Have you gentlemen seen your midterm grades yet? Well, they're not posted yet, sir. I've seen them. Mr. Kroger, two C's, two D's, and an F. That's a 1.2 grade average. Congratulations, Kroger. You're at the top of the Delta Pledge class. Mr. Dorfman. Hello. 0.2. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Mr. Hoover. President of Delta House, 1.6, four C's and an F. A fine example you set. Daniel Simpson Day has no grade point average. All courses incomplete. Mr. Blutowski, 0.0. Now I want you to tell Mr. Stratton and Mr. Schoenstein exactly what I'm about to tell you now. What's that, sir? You're out. Finished at Faber. Expelled. I want you off this campus at 9 o'clock Monday morning. And I'm sure you'll be happy to know 
that I have notified your local draft boards and told them that you are now all, all eligible for military service. I love that scene. Vernon was evidently a Canadian-born character actor who frequently played villains in films and on television and, of course, was best known for the role you just, you just heard. He played a bounty hunter stalking Clint Eastwood in The Outlaw Josie Wales. He was the mayor of San Francisco in Dirty Harry, and he played a vulnerable bad guy opposite Lee Marvin in Point Blank. He also played a revolutionary leader in Alfred Hitchcock's Topaz. Actually, our, our friend Jane Rusconi apparently was uh, was pals with Mr. Vernon's daughter, and it was rather funny one time <laughs> she was over visiting, and, and, and Dean Wormer came down the stairway. Little known fact that came out in the obituary, director of Animal House John Landis um, told the L.A. Times that he originally wanted Dragnet star Jack Webb to play Dean Wormer in the 1978 film, but after meeting with the 27-year-old long-haired bearded Landis, the conservative Webb was absolutely horrified at the suggestion. I think we mentioned National Lampoon earlier. Uh, that was a very funny magazine in its day back in, in the 1970s. Um, Animal House, written by uh, Doug Kenny, originally started with a National Lampoon article titled The 1956 High School Yearbook by Michael O'Donohue. National Lampoon reworked that into one of, one of the funniest things, I think the funniest thing I've ever read, to be honest. The 1964 High School Yearbook, which came out as a special edition. Uh, the, the yearbook was owned by Larry Kroger. Larry Kroger was recycled into the Tom Hulse uh, character Pinto in the movie Animal House, and they re- actually recycled an awful lot of the jokes that were in that that high school yearbook. If you never, if you get a chance to snag one of those in a used bookstore, by all means, it is very funny. It was Doug Kenny and P.J. O'Rourke, uh, both at the top of their game. We got a couple minutes left. I wanted to return to something we just made passing reference to last week: the Razzies. We're going to try and have uh, probably both Gary Chu and our own uh, Dr. Andy Jones talk to us about the Oscars and the Razzies, just because we like the Razzies. You know, they like the Oscars. I know you you guys like the Oscars. I don't understand it, but anyway, uh, the Razzies have attracted my attention because they've apparently given a Razzie Award nomination for Worst Actor to President Bush and some of his advisors for their appearance in Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 911. Bush was nominated for Worst Actor, while Rice, Condoleezza Rice, got a nomination for Worst Supporting Actress. (laughs) Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, Worst Supporting Actor. Spokesman for the Razzies said, It wasn't Michael Moore's editing. It's the raw footage of these people just making fools of themselves. Apparently for just a few seconds of screen time in Fahrenheit 911, Britney Spears earned a nomination as Worst Supporting Actress when she sits for a moment blank-faced and chewing gum before saying she thinks people should support the president in all decisions he makes. We mentioned, of course, last week that uh, the Catwoman appears to be the odds-on favorite to take the, the Razzie Award this year. The other nominees, if you're keeping track, are Oliver Stone's Alexander, Super Babies, Baby Genius 2, Surviving Christmas, and the cross-dressing comedy, White Chicks. Of interest locally, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger received a nomination for Worst Supporting Actor for his appearance in Around the World in 80 Days, for which he did a cameo before becoming our governor. Hey, hey, hey. Macho, 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 
We're out of time, so you should, as always, stay tuned for Todd Urich's program to follow. That would be Hometown Atrocities. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and we would like to announce at this point as we go out a very special program. Next week, we will be speaking with journalistic legend Walter Cronkite. We plan to devote nearly the entire program to to a a man of uh, Walter Cronkite's stature. This has been uh, Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and please tune in again next Thursday at 5 o'clock for our discussion of and talk with Walter Cronkite.